it deals with the doctrine of sin. So like here's what the Bible actually teaches about our nature, that we're sinners. We're sinners by nature. We're sinners by choice. We're, we're not following God no matter how hard we try, no matter how good we try to be. We can't do it. That's why Jesus came, right? Because he's the one who did. He lived a perfect life, died on the cross, was raised on the third day. Beautiful for us. But this kind of says, let's not talk about sin too much. Hey, man, we're just all broken. We all make mistakes. We all have bad choices. They kind of stay away from saying, hey, man, that's sin. That's sin. This is what the Bible defies, defines as sin. And that shows us that we need a savior, right? Progressives say, no, don't go there. Let's not go that far. So we talked about that. Um, page five on number four. The work of reconciliation should be valued over making judgments. And we talked all about this. You naughty Christians are such judges. <laughs> you judgmental things. You, um, Some of that's true, right? Um, but we, that's not, can't be true. Everybody judges. We talked about this. What's the standard? So like, what do we base our judgments on? As Christians, we say, okay, this is the standard. Here's what the Bible teaches. Here's how we're supposed to live. Here's what the Lord says. What do you want me to say? You know, I'm not judging, like being nasty, mean, mean, but here's the standard. And so the Bible judges hearts, and we will stand before the Lord and give an account. Um, the big idea with the with the progressives are just like we're not to call out actual sin in people's lives. You know, you can't tell anybody that they're wrong or they're being sinful actually, because that's you know judging people. But the Bible says, wait a minute. Here's what the Bible actually teaches. You know, this is what God says is right, what God says is wrong. It makes a judgment in that way. Um, again, you can listen to all these lessons because we talked all about them. On What are they on, Andy? They're on our website. On our website. Yep. We have a website. <laughs> <laughs> um, then number five on page six. So we're, we're almost getting to our lesson. Um Gracious behavior is more important than right belief. So that downplays what's called doctrine, like the actual teachings of scripture. So the progressives will say what really matters is not so much what we believe, but especially how we behave. And the idea behind that is like for Christians, uh, we're told that like we need to be willing to compromise the truth of God's word in order to demonstrate love and compassion. Well, you're not very loving and you're not very compassionate if you don't just accept me the way I am, even though the Bible says I shouldn't be this way, right? So we're kind of caught in that in-between place. Like, what are we supposed to do? Say, okay, cool, here's what scripture teaches, but here's what you're, where you're at, and I'm, and I'm just supposed to accept that when it actually doesn't. The Bible doesn't, right? So we need to have loving care and compassion for all people all the time but have enough love and care and compassion to say wait a minute you're this is what this is what the scripture teaches here's the standard that's real love and compassion like i've said you know we could love people straight into hell like oh yeah it's cool it's cool it's cool when god said it's not cool it's not cool what you're doing so um again that's number five number six um Inviting questions is more valuable than supplying answers. This was a big deal. In today's world, um, there's really kind of a denial of objective truth, like actual true, true, truth, right? It's very subjective. It's very relative. Hey, what's true for you might not be true for me. La-di-da. 
but like the Bible does actually say that um, there is a truth. There's absolute truth, and there's an absolute standard, and it's God's truth, and that's what we want to bring forth in, in, in that way. So people are denying all kinds of things today. Like we've gotten to the point where like in where there's a critical race theory in school, like in the area of science and math, and we talked about this, two plus two doesn't necessarily equal five because we don't want to damage your psyche or hurt you or make you feel that you're wrong. So Leela can attest to that in the public school. What did they tell you to do with two plus two? Just to gently you know, reassure them that that was a really good attempt and we understand how you could have gotten there and that was a really interesting line of thinking so just yeah, here's how you get to four, sweetie. Good try, but here's how you get to four. You got to get to four. And, but we're getting to the place where it's like, you know, this wall's not even here if I don't want it to be here, but it's actually here. That's the truth. The wall's blue. <laughs> you can't tell me the wall's not blue. <laughs> it's blue. My name's Blue. <laughs> um, so this is kind of like the dilemma for us as Christians to be loving, compassionate, and caring, but actually biblical at the same time. That's always hard because we're always put in that place to kind of uh, compromise. Um, on page eight, man, what are we tonight? Oh, we're next. Okay. <laughs> we just keep going with a review. I'm telling you, if you have time, go back and listen to these because we really flesh these ideas out. Um, encouraging personal search is more important than group unity. And that kind of, that idea that's progressive kind of undermines the unity of the church. It really does. Um, and, and, and so progressives see people as brave as they question orthodoxy um, as, as kind of um, going where nobody else has gone before, right, and asking questions. Now, the church should never be afraid to answer any questions that people have. Like We should never say, well, you can't answer that. You can't ask that question. Don't even ask that. Of course, ask any question that you have. But we need to be ready to answer the question biblically. Exactly, and if we don't know that, but but this kind of undermines the unity and the authority in the church, um, and just kind of says, you know, the church is trying to protect its own power and kind of want to silence you. No church should ever do that. But we'd all we should always strive for unity in the truth. That's the big deal. God's creator. He made us. He made everything. He sets the standard. He's the truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So we have to adjust our minds and our thinking to him and this truth instead of saying, well, I think, I believe, because that's just what we think and believe. We don't really know. Okay. Now, finally to our lesson, right? Yes. Um, Five, six, seven, eight. It's on page nine. I think this is it. Okay, yes. So, for tonight, we're going to do two quickies, I think. So, for tonight, the progressive proposition is this. Look, meeting actual needs is more important than maintaining institution. This is what Cully has in his book. So, like, and, and this is, the, you can see that these lessons are closely related, right? They all, they all kind of tie together. But, um... What this does, like what it undermines, I I kind of told you what these positions undermine, the progressive positions undermine in the actual church. This one goes after the importance of the church itself. 
And that is a big deal today. And remember, there's always a, some truth in what's being said here from the progressives. Um, under number A, or letter A, a lessening of the importance of the church. So under, under number one, um, a lot of people say that the church is kind of outdated, right? The church, that's old-fashioned now. The, the church, no. It's, that's why you have churches trying to do new things. They're trying to be really cool, hip, you know, marketing techniques, playing, kind of like you're in a nightclub. It's real kind of like cool to be there. Don't do the old church thing now. <laughs> That's like boring, like our church. <laughs> it's just kind of what it is. Um, so there's a lot of different options that you can go on, on online and, and whatever you want to do. But I want you to think about this. There's really kind of um, an anti-institutional vibe all around us. I mean, I know when we were growing up, there was something to be a member of a group or an organization. And now there's kind of more pushback against institutionalism, like our institutions. And there's some good reason for that, because, and, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But I think, like, even in the church, there are very few people that are concerned with actually, what, babe? I mean, Leela. <laughs> That's okay. Andy and I are confused. Oh. So am I. <laughs> <laughs> page eight, because you started talking about the president personal search is more important. Oh, page nine. And then you started, but then you didn't go through that whole part of the outline, and then you jumped to page nine. Oh. Page, page eight was just a summary. We we did that lesson last time, two weeks ago. Or did we? Wait. Oh. oh. Seriously? Are you sure we didn't do encouraging the personal search is more important than group unity? We didn't do that? I, I don't have anything written on it. I don't believe we did. No, I don't have anything written either. Do you have anything written, Lainey? <laughs> do you have anything written, Tristan? No, I'm not sure. <laughs> well, okay. Well, then let's do that. We'll go back. Now I have to think back like two weeks in my mind, so it's over. No. Okay, so let's go back. I'm sorry. You guys are good. You're right. Wow, I thought we did that at the two lines. Okay. Just forget about everything I said. Erase that. (laughs) Encouraging personal search is more important than group unity. So here, the idea, the progressive idea is like focusing on the individual. And that's a big deal in our day and age. It really is. It's so much more about me, myself, I, what's good for me, how I like it, what I like, as opposed to saying, you know what, here's what we believe as, as a church, as a group. So progressives, and here's the idea, they kind of see it as brave when they question or deviate from orthodoxy. Seeing those who hold firmly to biblical teachings as those who simply go along with the leadership. I know, you fuddy-duddies, you just kind of go along with the same old thing. But I really want to kind of push the boundaries and, and kind of question everything. And it's okay. I mean, you're, you're allowed to question, but you need to be willing to hear the answer too, right? That's the problem with a lot of people that are progressive in that way. They want to ask the questions. You know, what does it mean that Jesus died on a cross 2,000 years ago? What's that have to do with me and my life and salvation? It's okay to ask those questions, but then be ready for the answer. Um, with that so? So, um, and also push, pushing, the, pushing the boundaries on the church, like what 
you know, why does the church do this? Why does the church do that? And that's good. You should be able to question. And the church needs to listen to that. But you need to be willing to, to listen to the answers. A lot of progressives don't want to. They just want to question everything. So they can deny it and say, you know, so why is this? And just kind of an endless questioning so that they don't really have to believe anything until they feel that they're satisfied. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense to anybody? What's yeah, they don't want, they don't want the answer unless it fits Susan. Yeah. And so uh, for, for progressives, like the church is trying to protect its own authority and they want to silence you. And that's true. There are some churches and some institutions where you can never question. Like I grew up Roman Catholic and you never questioned the church. You never questioned the priest. You never asked a question. You weren't allowed to. Like you, this is the dogma. This is the authority. You listen. And that's very um, constraining and that leaves you very unsatisfied because all you must do is listen and obey and if you don't, you're going to burn. All right? Am I right? Who's raised Catholic here? You still are, sorry. Uh, <laughs> we all were one time. No, not all of us, but most of us in the room. Um, but that's kind of how, like, my experience was that. I was always so afraid of the priests, so afraid of the nuns, so afraid of, like, the institution. Like, oh, Lord, what am I, am I, am I, where, where am I? And so you couldn't really question anything. And so that just builds insecurity or frustration or both. So you just either kind of go along with it okay, 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 or you just say, I'm done with it, so, right, one way or the other. So we should entertain questions. Um, progressives will say, number three, the church is narrow-minded and not concerned with hurting, questioning individuals. Uh, we should always be concerned for people, and I think the true church really is. Where, where a person is at, in their walk, with their questions, in their life, what, how they're living. Um, there's a view of the church as discipline. View church discipline is archaic, unloving, and unnecessary. So that's a big thing with progressives. Like when you say, um, if you call yourself a Christian and you're going to church and you do something that's not biblical, that's not right, you're living a crazy life that's not consistent with your profession. Like I'm a Christian, but I'm living my life in a particular way that doesn't line up with the Bible. Well, as a shepherd, as a pastor, I'm going to come and say, okay, what's going on, dude? You know, you're sleeping with another man's wife. That's a no-no. Sin. <laughs> you can't be doing that. Um, and so there's going to be that, that confrontation, that loving comfort, just like, just like with little kids. If you don't discipline little kids, what do you have when they grow up? Think of Hudson. No, don't think of Hudson. <laughs> Hudson's awesome. He's awesome. He's awesome. I'm just teasing. He's not a brat. Uh, but that's what you have, you know, spoiled, privileged, little babies that have no discipline. Nobody ever said no to them. Nobody ever gave them that structure that they really need and that correction. So when we talk about church discipline as Christians, it's corrective discipline. It's not like, oh, we're just being mean to you. It's like, look, man, you, you're you going in the other direction, and we want to bring you back. And so, but some people view that as very harsh. Uh, they're not content with God's truth or convinced that his ways are best. That's a big deal. <laughs> People, you know, why does God have to be like this? You know, why does God have to do that? Or, you know, why does this have to be true? It doesn't go along with the way I feel. It doesn't go along with the way I am or the things that, you know, make me happy. Um, so they're not content with that truth and that his ways are best. And we all struggle with that. I mean, there's things that, happen to us 
in God's providence and in life. And I just like, you know, why, Lord? Why, why did this have to happen in this way to me? But then knowing that in his providence, it is for his glory and for our good. So I can look back even on really tough times in my own life, things that happened before I was a Christian and that I really regret now. But you know what? Those circumstances I could see in my life and and speak to them in a way that I couldn't otherwise. Um, With my heart attack and cancer, gave me different perspective in different ways. It sucked going through that, but, you know, getting through it, it's a different different perspective. And I think we can all have that idea. So he does know what's best. So... That's kind of the, the progressive youth, kind of brave to, to question everything and not listen and just kind of be kind of a rebel. Um, biblical perspective under theirs, we're the body of Christ, and as such, we ought, to, we ought to be in a great deal of agreement as believers. So first of all, we should have, it's okay to have questions, obviously. We all have questions about different things, different teachings, whatever. But we should be in substantial agreement, even if we don't have full understanding. Does that make sense to you? When we should say, okay, I know this is, this is what God teaches. I don't quite get it, but I know that this is what's being taught and what he expects from us and how we're to live. Okay. Um, and there should be that kind of one mind amongst people who say that they're Christians. If you're not a Christian, that's okay. I don't expect you to think like a Christian. But if you are a professing Christian... Well then, here's here's our standard. This is we've been born again. This is a it's a new life. The old stuff is gone. We're done with that. We're living for the Lord. So there should be a lot of agreement, and there usually is, right? For the most part, although Christians are some of the hardest people to deal with in the world, right, Kirsten? <laughs> I mess. Um, so we know it's not like in Christianity, number two, it's not about finding your own path, following your feelings. That's such a big deal. But conforming to God's word and seeking his truth. So that's why in the Bible, we're not going to look at, the, you have the passages there, you could look those up later. But that's a big deal for us because I think we live in a day and age, like even in the church, what do people want to do? They want to follow their heart. Feelings. heart or feelings. What's the Bible say about our hearts? Wicked. It's evil. It's deceitful among all else. Who can trust it? That's that's what the Bible says. Because our hearts can mislead us and they can lead us down the wrong path. And you know that from your own experience. You follow your heart. Next thing you know, you have a broken heart. And like, oh, that was a stupid thing to do. And I know. And Christianity is not without emotion or without the heart. It very much is. But we have to be really careful. We have to have a heart that really wants to follow the Lord. And it might be hard. It might, we might not get what we want at that particular time or what we think we need, right? But Jesus said, hey, man, if you're going to follow me, you count the cost of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Right? You take up your cross every day and follow me. That means you say no to yourself. When everything inside of you wants to say yes, right? if it doesn't line up with his word. If it lines up with his word, cool, amen, have fun, do. But you can't. And, and this is a struggle for every Christian because we know what the standard is. So there's things that you want to do. You know, just that one phone call, that one text, that one push of a button, right, on your computer or whatever it is, man. just want to go there. You say, no. That means you're dying to yourself in order to live for Christ. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to cross that line. 
It's hard. It's very hard for all of us. And we often do cross that line, but then we repent and he gives, gives forgiveness. Right? That's part of the Christian struggle. Um, again, number three. And anytime you have questions or comments, just let you know. Feel free. I'm not as polished on this. This I thought I did this one. <laughs> so I didn't go over it. Um, but number three, it's not about man's journey to find God, but God finding us. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. So it's not like we're looking for God or searching for God. We might say we are. We might want something. But like with um, progressives especially, they want a God who's going to give approval for the things that they want to do. That's, and you kind of say, well, I just want God. But you want God to, to where you want him until you're comfortable, until you're uncomfortable. Then you don't want him anymore. That's like the progressive. For the Christians, it's like, we know. Who was looking for God? Which one of you were kind of really looking for God before he found you? I was living in the new age, dating a crazy girl, going nuts in my life. And he found me, man. Um, the Apostle Paul, he was on his way to persecute Christians. The Lord found him. The, the disciples, they were fishing, many of them. You know, come and follow me. He finds us. We don't... We don't... Um, find him. I just listened to an R.C. Sproul about uh, two or three and he said, who among you seeks after God? No, you didn't. Not a single one. No one seeks after God. (laughs) No, not one. (laughs) That's Romans 2. Or Romans 3. Um, But that's really true. Because we might say we are, but then once we... Like we run into the actual truth of what God demands, then all of a sudden, not so much. But when He changes our hearts, then we want to do His will. That's right. You know, like I want to live for you. Um, so the church should never be afraid. I, this isn't in your outline. On your outline, but the church should never be afraid of or suppress sincere, honest, and hard questions. And that's very important. If you ever go to a church, if you ever talk to a pastor, and you can't ask the hard questions. Why is there evil in this world? If God is so good, why does he allow evil? And if he's all powerful, why doesn't he do something to stop it? Don't ask me that. It's such a hard question to answer. It takes a long time. Well, (laughs) why can't I live the way that I feel or be who I want to be and do what I want to do in that way? I'm not really hurting any. All those hard questions should not be suppressed. Like If somebody says, shh, don't ask those questions, you should run away from that church. You should have pastors, elders that are going to listen and give you sincere, honest answers to your questions. Again, you might not like them because they're biblical and it kind of might go against what you really want. You might get mad, but at least it'll be the truth, and, and you shouldn't be afraid of that. Um, those churches that just that are autocratic, authoritative, authoritarian, and, and don't allow for any questions, just listen because God said so. Then you need to run away from that church. Okay. Um, so that's all for that any questions on this one let's go to the next oh, I actually studied <laughs> meeting actual needs is more important than maintaining institutions so as we started uh, with this one it, again these are all closely related you could see but this one kind of lessens the importance of the church 
And, and as I was saying earlier, a lot of people have an anti-institutional vibe these days. They don't want to be tied down. They don't want to make real commitments. They don't want to sign the contract on the dotted line. Um, it's, it's a big deal. It's a big deal in the church. Um, very few are concerned with membership, even Christians. They don't care to be. There was a time when you wanted to be a member of the church. You were happy to be a member. Like, I'm a member. I've gone through the classes. I know what you believe. I know what, you know, the expectations, I guess. There aren't too many. But, you know, here's what we believe. Here's who we are. I want to be part of this. And I do want to be under the submission of godly elders. I want, like, an like the pastors and teachers to shepherd us. Like, that's what shepherds do. Not tell us how to live in every little way, not do this, not micromanage our lives, but somebody's going to watch over our souls, man, and that we're accountable to. There are people who used to be members of the church. Not so much anymore. Like, membership's lame these days, kind of. Right, <laughs> I don't know, I'm not a member. You're on your way, though. Um, and... Because I think we don't want to make that commitment. People just have a fear of commitment in every single area of life, and that bleeds into the church too. You know, they don't want to be committed to this. They don't want to be held accountable or tied down in case they change their mind, in case something better comes along, blah, blah, blah. It's a big deal, even with marriage. Because <laughs> I said blah, blah, blah. Uh, we have commitment issues here. Oh. <laughs> Did I hit on something? <laughs> oh, I don't mean to be. I kind of, I don't know. Okay? But that's a big deal. Cause, and, and even with even within marriage vows, like people don't take their vows seriously. I mean, even when people do become members of something and they take the vows, they understand what they're getting into and they actually take the vows, they don't take those seriously. And a prime example is marriage, man. That's why the divorce rate in the church is over 50%. It's crazy. Um, Where, when we should say, like, you know what, and you guys know this, if it wasn't for my vows that I took and that God hates divorce, if I was not a Christian, more than likely, mom would have dumped me a long time. (laughs) We would have been, been, no, seriously, because there was times early on, especially, you know this, anybody who's married, Sometimes the only thing that keeps you from going away is that commitment that you made, those vows that you took. Right? It doesn't mean that divorce is the ultimate sin, it's the unpardonable sin, and the Bible makes provision for divorce if your spouse cheats on you or abandons you, that kind of thing. But generally speaking, this day and it, the vows mean jack. Same within the church. People take vows in our church and then they're gone. I was dealing with a dude in our church, he was there for a long time. And I, he's, he was supposed to leave the area. He's still in the area. And he asked me for other churches that he might attend. And I said, well, you're a member in our church. <laughs> um, I never heard from him again. He doesn't contact me. But that's a kind of, there's not a real serious commitment to the vows that you take before God. When you take vows, you're doing it under God, saying, I promise, I swear, no matter what, come what may. Right? Sickness, health, good, bad, all the vows. Same with church. So there's that kind of anti-authoritarian vibe, you know, institutional vibe. 
so the church becomes more like a social kind of theological club. You have lots of groups, but you're in and out. You can come and go. <coughs> not really going to put yourself under the authority of the leaders and under that kind of thing where there's accountability and all that stuff. That's very rampant in the church estates. It's kind of the kind of par for the course. Now, there's reasons for that though. The church isn't off the hook. Okay. So when we talk about this uh, lessening in the importance of the church under number four um, or three, there's corruptions of all kinds. And that's very true. And this is where the church has faltered in a lot of ways. It doesn't mean it's okay to back out on your vows. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't see church membership. It doesn't mean that the church is a bad thing. So what progressives want to do is say, okay, we're going to scrap everything and just start all over with the church. No, because the Bible teaches us what the church is and what's it, what it's to be. What time is it? Oh, we're good. Okay, we have 15, we have until 8, a little bit after 8. Okay. Um, but on the side of the progressives and what they see, so many of them, is that the church has been more concerned with filling the pews than with changing hearts. And that is true. That's something we have to own as as the church. Um, so, So the goal becomes like to make our church grow. So what can I do to get people to come into my church? Like the rationale is, oh, I have the message of the gospel. I'll tell them about Jesus, died for their sins, blah, blah. But what they really want is to have a big church. And that's kind of the end game. What you should be doing, just being faithful, preaching, teaching, loving, caring, shepherding. And if God grows his church, amen. If he doesn't, that's okay too. But a lot of people want to put butts in the seat and they want to have big churches and say, I'm a pastor of a 2,000 member church. That's not good. And, and so progressives kind of see that, and that's kind of because then you're going to tell people to get them in the church, you might water down the truth a little bit. Oh, sin's not too bad. We all make mistakes. Instead of saying, look, sin is bad. Sin is it, it's what separates us from God, and there's consequences for that. The Bible teaches us you'll be in hell for eternity apart from Christ. It's a big deal. It's not a game. But nobody wants to hear that, and so churches will say, you know, there's a bad place, and we don't want to go there. <laughs> uh, um, um, so filling the seats, uh, shepherding is kind of lacking. You know, there's, they're not really concerned about caring for the people. Like if you're in our church, you know that we love you, man. I love you guys, and I will, and the elders will be there for you. And we want to, we want to bring you along in your faith and help you through. The difficulties teach you and help you to grow in Christ. You're shepherding you. We, like shepherds care for their sheep. Like I feed my cats. All those nasty cats every night. But I love them. <laughs> but, you know, you clean the cages and you, you know, scoop the litter and get the food. And this cat doesn't like that. And that cat likes that. And that cat throws up over that, right? You know what I'm talking about. I have an imaginary cat. Oh. I'm the only one who ever sees her. So, yeah. Okay, I know you're all about I thought you had cats. What? I thought you had dogs. He died. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. I'd rather have a dog, but now I feel like I can't get one because I'm stuck with the imaginary cat that okay. I got for my daughter and my husband who have turned on me. But the cat likes me. At least somebody loves you. <laughs> and God always loves you. Cats are cool. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> shepherd, shepherding, loving. Um, there's not much of that. You could be distant from your pastors. Like your pastors have to know you, man. Like they have to know what's going on in your life. If your pastors don't know you, 
how can we pray for you, love you, care for you? That's why we don't want a big church. We want a church where we know our people can do what we need to do for you guys. That's a big deal. Um, but other churches, they kind of concentrate on having music, cool music, lots of music. It's like going to a, a cheesy rock concert. If it's, at least if it's music, make it good. A lot of times it's lame, but, you know, anyway. They're getting better, I guess. I don't know. Uh, dynamic preachers, dynamic speakers, funny pastors, you know, that are very engaging, very, um, you know, easy to listen to, that kind of thing. Um, very emotional. They prey on your emotions and get you high, like emotionally high and stuff. Oh, that was cool. That's so, like after going to a concert or a show. That's not cool. That's not what church is to be like. So the progressives, as they see that, they're like, that is kind of lame. And, and that's where we kind of see the truth that they have. Um, also, another area that's really, really bad in the church is the moral, is the failure of leadership in the church, man. There are so many lame, lame, lame pastors and elders who don't, they're not called or they're not qualified. You know that the Bible has qualifications for elders and you have to meet those qualifications. There's some dude who gets his degree online and says, oh, I feel like being a pastor today. Gets a following online, like of a million people, and he doesn't know Jack and he's teaching people and they're loving and listening to him. That's not, that's not, that's not right. But that's kind of what we see today and progressives see that and they're like, that's not, that's not good. Um, so there's failures in leadership with unqualified leaders, leaders that aren't called by the Lord, like he equips us. Without him, we're nothing. Um, there's little accountability. If you have a pastor that rules over your life, if you don't have elders where there's mutual accountability, if you can't ask your pastor any question that's on your heart, if he's not accessible, if he's not um, willing to be there like for you, that's not a good sign. Um, and and also, um, they're, they're very self-serving, these guys. They want a big church. They want a big name. They want to be on YouTube. They want to have, you know, that, that kind of notoriety. Oh, I listen to so-and-so, and I go to so-and-so's church. Don't ever, that's so awful. It's against what the Bible actually teaches. And then the moral failings of so many of these pastors is a big deal. Every day, if you look it up, you can see this pastor's fallen into sexual sin. This pastor's committed adultery. So that just turns you way off because, like, you know, you're supposed to be the pastor. Again, pastors are just human and they're, they could be tempted. And I'm not saying, but there are so many that are just falling into that area of sexual morality, having affairs or counseling, and they end up, you know, um, get going down that road. And so there's a lot, a loss of credibility and of authority. So people see that, say, why would I want to join that, right? So that's the perspective you get from the progressives, and there's that truth in that. So what goes wrong with the progressives, though, is they want to deconstruct everything. They say, okay, let's just do away with the whole church, the old thing, and build it up in a new way, right? And so we're going to do it in a way that seems right for us. So we're going to have our... Have you ever heard of reimagining church? If you ever hear that, again, run away as far fast as you can. We're going to reimagine. We don't have to reimagine. We need to get back to what the Bible teaches. This is how we do church. Um, so it's, it's really important. It's, 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 instead of re- reforming the church, which needs to be done, they want to transform the church. They shift the focus. Um, and they don't offer a full orb view of Christianity, of, of what the Bible actually teaches. They'll focus more on social issues, 
uh, being all-inclusive, all-accepting, never questioning, never saying, you know, this is what the Bible actually teaches, but we're just going to encompass everything and come as you are. That's not church because they're not actually following what the Bible teaches, but that's a new way to do church. And that's where they go wrong. They have some legitimate criticisms, but what they want to do is not um, to, to answer those criticisms is not actually what the Bible teaches. They go too far the other way. So you have all these inclusive churches and come to this church, and, and then there's no conviction of sin. Oh, I'm, I guess I'm pretty good. The church says I'm good. I guess I must be good. Right? I don't really need God. He can just, he can just help me along. So... I think of the one... Uh, you and... Everybody can interpret Scripture for themselves. Mm-hmm. No way. No, you read Scripture... And everybody has a right, and you ought to read Scripture. But they're, they're actually a way to interpret Scripture. And then you have people that are, are trained to do that, just like in any other field. Like, you know, that's kind of our expertise. right? You wouldn't want me to be a flight attendant, would you? <laughs> I they're so nice and patient. I'd be like, first of all, I'd be scared. No, I, that was scared. That's not helpful. Um, okay, you won't want me to be a pilot. Huh? Yeah. That's bad. That's bad. <laughs> Flight attendant, anybody can do that. But, no, I'm just teasing. I'm, teasing. I'm joking. <laughs> but a pilot. Okay, so it's, it can, like you want some expertise. He could teach you how to fly. He could teach you the basics. That's what a good pastor does. He teaches you what the Bible actually teaches. And then you wrestle with it. You deal with it, right? You come along. You read it for yourself. You have questions. You write them down. You seek the answers. But to interpret it yourself... What ends up happening is you interpret the way you want to. You read yourself into the text instead of taking out what the Bible actually says. So you become a professor. Professor. Progressive. Progressive, yeah. That's essentially what you're doing. And you take it out of context. And, you know, there are definitely rules for interpretation. And you need to take it in its immediate context and the context of the entire Bible. So people will cherry pick a passage. Well, doesn't God say love your neighbor? Yeah, but there's a context to that. You have to love God first in order to love your neighbor correctly. How do you know how to love your neighbor if you don't love God who teaches us what love is and how we're to love? That's a big deal. But anyway, I digress. That is, a, uh, I think, a signal that the church is heading the wrong direction, trying to play both sides of the, mm. of the Bible, basically. Yeah. Either the Bible or not the Bible. But say, everybody can, you know, you, you can. can interpret it for yourself. Like, well, I interpret it through the Bible. That's fine, but you can't expect other people to excuse me. You might. That, that, yeah, because that's the absolute standard. That's it. This is it. If we believe that God is God and the Bible is the Bible, that's the standard. And as you live for it as a Christian, you love it. Like, you love the standard. Even when we're breaking the standard, we still love the standard, right? <laughs> this is word. Um, so, the, listen, the main function of the church, and this is really important, is not to solve the ills of society. So that's what progressives want to do. Let's just go and do good for others. Let's just clothe the naked, feed the hungry, help the poor, do all that stuff, which is very, very good. Don't get me wrong. But that's not the main function of the church. Number two, the church is not to make lost people feel comfortable in their sin. (laughs) You know, that's not our job. Our job is to say, here's what the Bible teaches about sin, and our comfort's found in Christ who died for your sin. That's a big deal. But we are sinners. A lot of progressive churches say, hey, you're okay just the way you are. Mr. Rogers, 
just the way you are. No need to change. Right. Do it the way you want. Any way you want. Any way that seems good to you. We're just glad you're here. That's not, I mean, uh, uh, and you guys know if you're in our church, a lot of times you're not comfortable. Or are you comfortable? Tony, are you comfortable? Uh, good. <laughs> Andy, are you comfortable? <laughs> are you squirming? <laughs> no, I, I don't mean to be yeah, ever. I never do. some conviction anytime. Always. Some, some, I'm convicted. When I prepare my sermons, I'm so convicted. I'm like, Lord, I preach to myself because as I'm preparing the messages, I'm like, oh, Lord, I don't, I can't live up to this. Please forgive me. You know, I, please. So I'm, I squirm when I prepare most of my sermons. Um, so, and it's not there to be cool, it's not there to be hip, not there to be relevant, not there to be just kind of, you know, um, getting your senses and your emotions all going high. Again, nothing wrong with being emotional in church. I cry all the time when we sing some of those songs, you know. But that's not the main purpose of the church. We are commissioned, and here's the idea. We're commissioned with making disciples. So that's the gospel proclamation. Number one, we are to make disciples of all nations. That means to say, here's what the Bible teaches us about us. That we're sinners, man. That we're lost. That we're rebels. That we've been separated from God because of our sin. And that's bad news. But that's why Jesus came. That's the good news. To live a life that we couldn't live without sin. To die the death on the cross that we would be made right with God. To be buried and raised on the third day, showing that everything that we teach is true. The resurrection's a big deal, right? If you believe and trust in Him, your sins will be forgiven, and when you die, you will be in heaven. That's the, that's the promise of the gospel. That's the church's main job: um, to teach it, to participate in the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, to pray, to have fellowship like we're doing now, to study, to be accountable to each other, corrective discipline. Again, if you go astray. As, as your elder, just like their parent, I'm going to come to you and say, guys, look what's happening here. You're saying this on one hand, but you're living like this. You need to repent. You need to get back. You need to get right with God. So there's that corrective discipline. Uh, growing in Christ. Then, with that understanding, of course we do good. Of course we give. I mean, Christians should be the most generous, the most gracious. We should give everything that we have. Money shouldn't mean too much to us. Our houses, whatever, like, whatever we can give to help those in need. We do that in the context of the gospel, not just as an end to itself. So progressives want to say, we just want to help feed, let everybody come into the country that they want to come in, for instance. And that way, instead of saying, okay, here are the laws that we have, come in, yes, come in, but come in the right way. Um, As Christians, even as our nation that was founded on Christian principles, in the history of the world, no nation has done more to help others. Every time there's an earthquake around the world, the U.S. sends so much there out of that compassion. The Red Cross, the um, United Way, not the United Way, Red Cross. What else? What am I thinking of? Salvation Army, ding, ding, with the belts, Christian. Um, you know, they stand outside. Um, the hospitals, which you guys might be young, but growing up, the hospitals, St. Joseph, St. Clair, St. They were Christians at started hospital, Presbyterian Hospital. Um, Cause, cause, what was that other hospital that used to be in the north side? It was, it was Mercy Hospital. Mercy. Those are all Christians because Christians do that. You go to other nations that aren't Christian, that weren't have a Christian foundation, they don't care too, too much. There's a lot of death, a lot of destruction. People go, 
But because we care, there's so much we do. The shelters, those kinds of things, the giving. And as Christians, we should do that, obviously, but always in connection with the gospel. So it's more important to, to help feed and clothe, yes, but also saying, look, I could feed you and clothe you for one day, but if you believe in Jesus, you'll have food that sustains you forever. He's the living bread, right? I'm the bread of life, Jesus said. So it's with the in the context of the gospel, not just you know in, as an end to itself. So, of course, we do works of mercy, not as an end to themselves. We demonstrate the mercy of Christ, and it's measured. It's not just indiscriminate, without, without discernment, man. So, like, listen, we... <clears throat> We're not, we can't break lawful laws in helping other people, right? So you're not going to give a drug addict and so like a progressive will say, okay, that person's a drug addict, just give them more drugs because that's what they need at this time. No! Like women say as Christians, I love you too much to do that. I'm not going to watch you kill yourself. I'll help you in another way. I'll get you in rehab. We'll pay for that. We'll do this for you. But I'm not going to give you these kinds of things. I'm not going to give you the needles, man, to share. That's not cool because that's just going to... I know on the one hand, well, they're going to do it anyway. They have clean needles. As a Christian, I can't do that because you're just continuing to pump yourself. right? What I want to do is take you off there, get you into rehab, pray for you, help you, get you in a place where you're away from that. Um, so they can even think about illegal immigration. We want people to come into our country, but not illegally. We want to know who's coming and why. So you can't break laws in order to be merciful. Do you know what I'm saying? God's laws especially. It's a, people think like that. Like they'll say, hey, you know, forget about the laws, whatever. We're being merciful, and so we're just gonna, you know, we're just gonna give in this way. You're not thinking rat like God's thoughts after him in that way. And in the end it's not good for that person or even society in the end if we do it that way. Right? Does that make sense? Do you not agree with that at all? Is that we can't break laws in order to be merciful. Like lawful laws in order to kind of show mercy. You're just encouraging more sin or more hurt. Capiche? Does that make sense? It's a big deal. Okay. Works of mercy are not all are not the gospel. That's progressives say that's the gospel itself. It's the gospel in action. The gospel is the gospel. The gospels were sinners. Christ died for sinners. He was raised on the third day. If you repent and believe, you'll be saved from your sin. That's the gospel. Mercy flows from the gospel, but clothing people, feeding people, giving them shelter is not the gospel. That's an outworking of it, and it shows God's love, but it's not the gospel. Um, we ought to have deep respect for the church, for her faithful servants, because Jesus is the Christ, he's the king, he's the one who gave us the church. So that's a big deal for us. Again, I'm not going to go through the Bible passages. You have them on your sheet. What time is it, honey? Um, 10 or 5, like 7 7. Are you guys good for one more real quick one? Mm-hmm. Are you ready to go? Or do you want to fall asleep? Can you go? We'll be home by 8.30. What time is it? 8. Oh, is it 8? Hmm. So we just stop? It's really short, it's, um, and it's really related to the other one. Peacemaking is more important than power. And it's kind of just related to the other one. I can go through it very quickly. And again, we won't read all the Bible passages, but I want you to go back and read the Bible passages, please. Um, so, number nine, peacemaking is more important than power. And that's attacking the authority of the church. Again, we just kind of, this is closely related to what we just talked about. But 
for the progressive, peacemaking means actually capitulating to or compromising with the culture. That's a big, big deal today. So in other words, peacemaking is just accept me the way I am and for who I am and what I do, and then we'll have peace, right? But and I'm like, what do you care? What do you care what I do? What's it matter to you? What if I choose like to, to, to live this way? That's you know. Um, we talked about this last time about the two consenting adults, and you could listen to what we talked on, on that last uh, on the last lesson. But um, peacemaking basically means capitulating to or compromising with the culture or with individuals. Now, my question as a Christian, is that loving? Is that truly loving? No. Okay. Yeah. Is that what being faithful means? It's just if you say, yes, you're okay, and God is okay with this when he's actually not. And that's a hard thing to do. This gets back into the judgment thing, not that we pass judgment. But here's God's standard. And when you don't live according to the standard, you will never be happy, man. You could think, and just, we know this, like those of you who've been there, where we tried to find our happiness, we tried to find our fulfillment, we tried to find, you know, something that's going to give us self-esteem or whatever, whatever we're kind of lacking a spirituality, we do our own thing, but you're never, never really happy. You're never really content. You, St. Augustine said, the heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. That's really good. The heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee, O Lord. And that's the way it is. So I was talking to Mark the other day. And Robin, you can kind of add to this or correct me. I guess when we were talking about um, years ago, when people weren't able to come out or be free with their sexuality, that's why they were so unhappy. Remember? Do you remember our conversation? Am I right? Yeah. <laughs> it was yesterday. was <laughs> the day before. <laughs> um, so, and Mark's been in this for 20 years, or this is her fiance. 35 years? Okay, so 30 years ago, he's talking on the phone to somebody. And what do you guys, you guys work for? Can you let people know? Resolve Crisis Services. Resolve Crisis Services. What's that? It's the Allegheny County's Mental Health Crisis Center. Suicide hotline. Okay, that's what they work for. So they talk to us all the time. Twenty years ago, talks to somebody, and it would be, I can't be who I am. I can't come out, and so I'm miserable, and I'm not happy, and nobody's accepting me, right? So I want to kill myself. Today, and Mark was saying this the other day, that the calls are coming in even more where there's full acceptance, full acceptance from society for sure. You're this as you are, and yet, right, Robin, there's still that hopelessness. Um, I forget how he put it. It was really good. You remember what he said? (laughs) But people, it's even more of a desperation and even more like people wanting to commit suicide, even though there's full acceptance of who they are and what, you know, what they, because you can't be happy. You can't have contentment apart from God. You can try. You can try. And if you could just do this, if I could just do that. If I just had that job, if I just had this person, if I just had this life. Apart from Christ, it'll never, you'll never have peace. You'll never have that contentment. Even with Christ, it's hard sometimes. But you always have that peace and contentment. 
But you're not like joyful. Everything's great all the time. That's not true, man. It gets really hard. But there's always that peace that passes understanding, as the Bible says. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I thought that was really, really good because the problem was back then, well, I can't come out. I can't be myself. I'm so depressed. Uh, And if I come out, people will hate me, so I want to kill myself. Now I'm fully out. I'm fully accepted. I still want to kill myself because I have no hope. I'm still not happy, even though I have everything that I want. And I have, you know, a majority of acceptance within within our culture and society. Um, it's not like it was, that's for sure. So I think that that's that's um, part of that peacemaking. Um, to be at peace is either not tossed like a tossed salad, tacit. Mm-hmm. It's tacit accept or full acceptance. That's what progressives mean by peace. You know, just accept me, and you're not gonna have a problem. But if you say anything about who I am, then there's where the problem's going to come in. Um, powers based on structure and authority within the church. We talked about that last time. Um, and so, what I want to say, and I'll just get to the end of this one, I'm not going to go through the scriptures, is number one, peacemaking does begin with the gospel. You don't try to talk people out of necessarily their life, you know, you could point out, hey, it's not cool, there's consequences, you know that you're not happy, this is not getting you anywhere. But that's not the main goal. The main goal is to say, look, man, we're all messed up. We're all messed up. We came out of the womb messed up. We came out of the womb sinners. And that's why Jesus died. That's why he came. That's how much he loved us. And this is what he did for us. That's always the focus, not a particular um, predilection or, you know, how people live, whatever. That's not like the focus is the heart all the time, right? Because we all have similar, maybe different, but in the end, kind of similar experiences and circumstances. We're all separated from God, and that shows up one way or another in our lives. So it's always the gospel. That's what that's because you need peace between you and God. If you're not a Christian, and you know this, when we weren't Christians, we didn't have peace between us and God. You know, I was fighting against God or ignoring God or suppressing God's truth, doing what you want to do, uh, you know. Um, so that's that's a, that's the most important thing. And then I think strong biblical, like loving Christians and loving pastors, they seek to make peace, but it's peace based on God's word because that's the standard and because that is actually what is always best for us. It's not just peace at any cost. Um, The Bible says peace, peace, where there is no peace. If it means not honestly confronting sin, if it's compromising the fundamental truth of the scripture, if it's simply to avoid conflict, then that's not true peace. It might be the absence of conflict, but it's not true peace. Do you know what I mean? I know you know what I mean, Sandy. What you're going through. You know, um, so the idea is where there's real peace, I mean, where there's real loving confrontation over a situation and you resolve that, that's where the peace comes in when it's based on scripture. So let's just take like marriage real quick. This will be the last thing. So God intended marriage to be one man, one woman kids, extended family, to love, to care. As a pastor, when you see marriages in trouble and people contemplating divorce, 
I could keep the peace by saying, you know what, it's okay. You know, you're you're right. You're you know, your your husband is a pig. No, not a pig, but he's not treating you right. <laughs> yeah, whatever. You know, he should be a better man. But you know, um, but there's not really going to be peace there. You might have a separation from the situation for a while moving forward. But when things are in accord with God's word, where there's a family or a husband and wife who took those vows, and this gets us back to where we started, makes that commitment to be who they're called to be. I'm not worried about how my wife's acting. I'm worried about how I'm acting as a husband before God towards my wife. Even if she's not being who she's supposed to be, I need to be who I'm supposed to be for God and for her and for my family. You love that, don't you? Because that's how it should be. And the same thing for my wife. She's going to be the wife striving to be the wife she needs to be, even though I'm a pain in the ass and that could be really hard and it could be tough. You know, but she loves me. Right? That's what we do. That's where real peace comes in. Do you, know, you know what I'm saying? When you have that harmony, like God's way is the best way. When there's a marriage that stays together and there's love, and you work at it even through the difficult times and you do what you're called to do as that spouse, it's good for everybody. It's good for the marriage. It's good for the family. It's good for the community where there's strong families, where there's love, where there's care, where there's discipline. You know that, man. That's a good thing. But sometimes you have to break the peace to get there because it could be very difficult and you have to say some hard things that people don't want to hear, right? It'd just be easier if it was over. This is kind of hopeless right now. I can keep the peace by saying, yeah, okay. You're not going to, we'll have peace. But there's really no peace there. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense at all? Does that help? That's the idea. Because his ways are always best. They might not seem to be. Well, this is who I am. No, no, no. Here's who God says that we are. So I'm going to strive to obey God more than my feelings, more than my inclinations, more than myself. Right? That's a big, big deal. So that's kind of the difference in, in this area. Okay, that's all for tonight. Next time we're going to finish this one up. We're going to do, well, this is a big one. Too bad you guys won't be here next time. This is who who should care about, wait, we should care more about love and less about sex. And so that's attacking sexual ethics of the scripture. And so, uh, yeah, justifying sexual sin. Uh, we'll talk about that. And then the biblical perspective. And then we'll do the last one. Um, the world, This world is more important than the life to come. You know, they'll say, progressives like to say, oh, you guys are all pie in the sky. You're just worried about heaven and the next life. There's some truth in that. But um, they're fully concerned about this life only. And, and so we'll talk more about those. So we'll try to do those two next time. I think we're here, Andy. Are we here next time? And then... Um, if we're not here, we're the two lies. Yes, yeah, we're here. Okay, so we're here. And then um, and then we have two more classes, and we'll get into God, government, and you. God, government, and the Christian. Um, and then that'll be it. And then we're done till the springtime, and then we'll be doing Christianity 101. Okay, let me pray with you guys, and then we'll get out of here. Thanks for staying over time. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, we do thank you so much. I just thank you for this this class this evening. I hope it was helpful, informative. Help us, Lord, to think um, and to understand and, to, and even to think more biblically, Lord, as we fix our eyes upon you and look to you, Lord God, to lead us, to guide us, to direct us, um, to, to continue, Lord, to, to love us, even as we seek to serve you, to understand you better, Lord God, and to live our lives in a way that's honoring to you and helpful towards others as well, Lord God. So please bless this time for your glory and for our good. I pray that you would see us home safely, Lord. Give us a good night tonight and a great day tomorrow. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.